As the pandemic releases its hold on us, if even to a limited degree, we can reflect on so much that has changed in daily living and how we ourselves have been changed. We can commiserate with one another on the hardships of isolation and losses we have endured. We can express gratitude if loved ones have survived and for a viable vaccine that promises the potential for a return to normal living. We can frame some of these changes in the form of lessons learned as well. The March issue of AARP Bulletin offers hard lessons of the past 12 months that could improve life and prosperity for older Americans. It is hoped that these 15 lessons the pandemic has taught us can usher us on to be healthier and more adaptable seniors. In brief, the 15 lessons are, one, family matters more than we realized, two, we have unleashed a revolution in medicine, three, self-care is not self-indulgence, four, have a stash ready for the next crisis, And five, the adage, age is just a number, has new meaning. Six, we have befriended technology and now there's no going back. Seven, work is anywhere now, a shift that bodes well for older Americans. Eight, our trust in one another has frayed, but it can be slowly restored. Nine, the crowds will return, but we will gather carefully. Ten, loneliness hurts health more than we thought. And 11, when your world gets small, nature lets us live large. 12, you can hope for stability, but best be prepared for the opposite. 13, wealth inequality is growing, and it affects us all. 14, the benefits of telemedicine have become indisputable. And 15, our cities will never be the same. The wealth of information and insight from experts solicited by AARP is enormous and therefore offered in two parts. Part one today by contributing writers include Sari Harar, David Hockman, Lexi Pandell, and Ellen Stark, and begins, What we've learned over the past 12 months could pay off for years to come. For the past year, our country has been mired in not one deep crisis, but three, a pandemic, an economic meltdown, and one of the most fraught political transitions in our history. Interwoven in all three have been challenging issues of racial disparity and fairness. Dealing with all of this has dominated much of our energy, attention, and for many Americans, even our emotions. But spring is here, and we are, by and large, moving past the worst moments as a nation, which makes it a good time to take a deep breath and assess the changes that have occurred. While no one would be displeased if we could magically erase this whole pandemic experience, it's been a crucible of our lives for a year, and we have much to learn from it, even much to gain. AARP asked dozens of experts to go beyond the headlines and to share the deeper lessons of the past year that have had a particular impact on older Americans. More importantly, we asked them to share how we can use these learnings to make life better for us as we recover and move forward. Here is what they told us. Lesson 1. Family matters more than we realized. The indelible image of the older person living alone and having to struggle. We need to change that. You're going to see more older people home sharing with families, 
and co-housing across communities to avoid future situations of tragedy. That was from Mark Friedman, CEO and President of Encore.org and author of How to Live Forever, The Enduring Power of Connecting the Generations. Norman Rockwell would have needed miles of canvas to portray the American family this past year. You can imagine the titles, The Family That Zooms Together, Generations Under One Roof, Grandkids Outside My Window, and The Shared Office. Beneath the warts and complexities of all of that went wrong, we rediscovered the interdependence of generations and how much we need each other, Friedman says. Among the lessons, adult kids are okay. A Pew Research Center survey last summer found that 52% of the American population between ages 18 and 29 were living with parents, a figure unmatched since the Great Depression. From February to July 2020, two and six-tenths million young adults moved back with one or both parents. That's a lot of shared Netflix accounts. It's also a culture shift, says Karen Fingerman, director of the Texas Aging and Longevity Center at the University of Texas at Austin. After the family dinners together, grandparents filling in for child care, and the wise economic sense, It's going to be acceptable for adult family members to co-reside, Fingerman says, well, at least for a while. What we've learned from the pandemic is also spouses and partners are critical to well-being. The ones who have done exceptionally well are couples in long-term relationships who felt renewed intimacy and reconnection to each other, says social psychologist Richard Slechter, who runs the Close Relationships Laboratory at the University of Georgia. Difficult caregiving can morph into good-for-all home sharing. To get older Americans out of nursing homes and into a loved one's home, a priority that has gained in importance and urgency due to the pandemic, will take more than just a willing child or grandchild. New resources could help, like expanding Medicaid programs to pay family caregivers, such as an adult child, or initiatives like the Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly, a Medicare-backed benefit currently helping 50,000 community-dwelling seniors with medical services, home care, and transportation. A positive piece this year has been the pause to reflect on how we can help people stay in their homes as they age, which is what everyone wants, says Nancy Lamond, AARP's Chief Advocacy and Engagement Officer. If you are taking care of a parent, grandparent, aging partner, or yourself, you see more than ever the need for community and government support of having technology to communicate with your doctor, and of getting paid leave for family caregivers. The pandemic has forced us to think about all of these things, and that's very positive. Family may be the best medicine of all. Now we know if you can't hug your 18-month-old granddaughter in person, you can read to her on FaceTime, says Jane Assay, author of several books about family relationships. You can send your adult kids snail mail. You can share your life's wisdom even from a distance. These coping skills may be the greatest gifts of COVID to an older generation that deeply and rightly fears isolation. Lesson 2. 
We have unleashed a revolution in medicine. One of the biggest lessons we've learned from COVID is that scientific community working together can do some pretty amazing things. That from John Cook, MD, Medical Director of the RNA Therapeutics Program at Houston Methodist Hospital's DeBakey Heart and Vascular Center. In the past, it has taken four to 20 years to create conventional vaccines. For the new messenger RNA, mRNA, vaccines from Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna, it was a record-setting 11 months. The process may have changed forever the way drugs are developed. Vaccines may one day treat heart disease and more. In the near future, mRNA technology could lead to better flu vaccines that could be updated quickly as flu viruses mutate with the season, says Lynn E. McCott, director of the University of Rochester Center for RNA Biology, or the development of a universal flu shot that might be effective for several years. Drug developers are looking at vaccines for rabies, Zika virus, and HIV. I expect to see the approval of more mRNA-based vaccines in the next several years, says mRNA researcher Norbert Pardee, a research assistant professor of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. We could use mRNA for diseases and conditions that can't be treated with drugs, Cook explains. It may also target our biggest killers, Future mRNA therapies could help regenerate muscle in failing hearts and target the unique genetics of individual cancers with personalized cancer vaccines. Every case of cancer is unique with its own genetics, Cook says. Doctors will be able to sequence your tumor and use it to make a vaccine that awakens your immune system to fight it. Such mRNA vaccines will also prepare us for future pandemics, Makat says. In the meantime, use the vaccines we have available. Don't skip recommended conventional vaccines now available to older adults for the flu, pneumonia, shingles, and more, Pardee says. The flu vaccine alone, which one in three older adults skipped in the winter of 2019, saves up to tens of thousands of lives a year and lowers your risk for hospitalization with the flu by 28% and for needing a ventilator to breathe by 46%. Lesson number three is self-care is not self-indulgence. Not only does self-care have positive outcomes for you, but it also sets an example for younger generations as something to establish and maintain for your entire life. That from Rochelle Concepcion, clinical psychologist and president of the Asian American Psychological Association. As the virus upended life last spring, America became hibernation nation. Canned, dry, and instant soup sales have risen 37% since last April. Premium chocolate sales grew by 21% in the first six months of the pandemic. The athleisure market, that includes sweatpants and yoga wear, saw its 2020 U.S. revenue push past an estimated $105 billion. 
With seven in ten American workers doing their jobs from home, COVID turned the focus for all ages on the small, simple pleasures that soothe and give us meaning, says Isabel Gillis, author of Cozy, the Art of Arranging Yourself in the World. Why care about self-care? Pampering is vital to well-being for yourself and for those around you. Activities that once felt indulgent became essential to our health and equilibrium, and that self-care mindset is likely to endure. Whether it is permission to take long, hot bubble baths, tinkering in the backyard she shed, enjoying herbal tea, or seeing noon come while still in your pajamas... Being good to yourself offers a necessary reprieve from whatever horrors threaten us from out there, Gillis says. Being good to yourself is good for others, too. A recent European survey found that 77% of British respondents, 75 and younger, consider it important to take their health into their own hands in order not to burden the healthcare system. Nostalgia TV Daytime PJs, it's okay to use comfort as a crutch. Comfort will help ease us back to life. Some companies are already hawking pajamas you can wear in public, old-fashioned drive-ins, and virtual cast reunions for shows like Taxi, Seinfeld, and Happy Days will likely continue as long as the craving is there. More than half of the consumers in a 2020 survey reported finding comfort in revisiting TV and music from their childhood. Even the iconic Got Milk ads are back after dairy sales started to show some big upticks. So cut yourself some slack, learn a new skill, adopt a pet, limit your news diet, ask for help if you need it. Lesson number four is have a stash ready for the next crisis. The need to augment our retirement savings system to help people put away emergency savings is crucial. That from J. Mark Uri, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and former senior advisor to the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. Before the pandemic, nearly four in ten households did not have the cash on hand to cover an unexpected $400 expense, according to a Federal Reserve report. Then the economic downturn hit. By last October, 52% of workers were reporting reduced hours, lower pay, a layoff, or other hits to their employment situation. A third had taken a loan or early withdrawal from a retirement plan, or intended to. Alarm bells were already ringing, but many workers were caught off guard without emergency savings, says Catherine Collinson, CEO and president of the Transamerica Institute. The pandemic has laid bare so many weaknesses in our safety net. Companies can help. One solution could be a workplace innovation that's just beginning to catch on, an employee-sponsored rainy day savings account funded with payroll deductions. By creating a dedicated pot of savings, the thinking goes, workers are less likely to tap retirement accounts in an emergency. It's much better from a behavioral standpoint to separate short-term savings from long-term savings, Uri says. AARP 
has been working to make these accounts easier to create and use and is already offering them to its employees. Funding that emergency savings account with automatic payroll deductions is a key to the program's success. Sometimes you think you don't have the money to save, but if a little is put away for you each pay period, you don't feel the pinch, Erwin notes. Well, we're off to a good start. Thanks to quarantines and forced frugality, Americans' savings rate, the average percentage of people's income left over after taxes and personal spending, skyrocketed last spring, peaking at an unprecedented 33 and 7 tenths percent. On the decline since then, most recently at 13 and 7 tenths percent, it is still above the single-digit rates characterizing much of the past 35 years. Where it will ultimately settle is unclear. Currently, it's in league with high-saving countries like Mexico and Sweden. The real model of thriftiness, though, China, where according to the latest available figures, the household savings rate averaged at least 30% for 14 years straight. And now, lesson number five. The adage, age is just a number, has new meaning. This isn't just about the pandemic. Your health is directly related to lifestyle, nutrition, physical activity, a healthy weight, and restorative sleep. That from Jacob Mursky, MD, primary care physician at the Massachusetts General Hospital Revere Healthcare Center and an instructor at Harvard Medical School. Just a few months ago, researchers at Scotland's University of Glasgow asked a big question. If you're healthy, how much does older age matter for risk of death from COVID? The health records of 470,034 women and men revealed some intriguing answers. Age accounted for a higher risk, but comorbidities, essentially having two or more health issues simultaneously, mattered much more. Live healthfully, live long. More insights from the study. A healthy 75-year-old was one-third as likely to die from the coronavirus as a 65-year-old with multiple chronic health issues. The bottom line? Age affects your risk of severe illness with COVID, but you should be far more focused on avoiding chronic health conditions. Coronavirus highlighted yet another reason it's so important to attend to health factors like poor diet and lack of exercise that cause so much preventable illness and death, says Massachusetts General Smirsky. Lifestyle changes can improve your overall health, which will likely directly reduce your risk of developing severe COVID or dying of COVID. Exercise remains critical. In May 2020, a British study of 387 109 adults in their 40s through 60s found a 38% higher risk for severe COVID in people who avoided physical activity. Mobility should be considered one of the vital signs of health, concludes exercise psychologist David Marquez, a professor in the Department of Kinesiology and Nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And now for Lesson 6, we befriended technology and there is no going back. Folks who have tried online banking will stay with it 
It won't mean that they won't go back to branches, but they might go back for a different purpose. That from Theodora Lau, founder of financial technology consulting firm Unconventional Ventures. Of course, the world has long been going digital, but before the pandemic, standard operating procedure for most older Americans was to buy apples at the grocery store, try the shoes on before buying, have your doctor measure your blood pressure, and see that hot new movie at the theater. Arguably, the biggest long-term societal effect of the pandemic will be a grand flipping of the switch that makes the digital solution the first choice of many Americans for handling life's tasks. We still may cling to a few IRL, in real life, experiences, but it is increasingly apparent that easy-to-use modern virtual tools are the new default. If nothing else, COVID has shown us how resilient and adaptable humans are as a society when forced to change, says Joseph Huang, CEO of StartX, a nonprofit that helps tech companies get off the ground. We've been forced to learn new technologies that, in many cases, have been the only safe way to continue to live our lives and stay connected to our loved ones during the pandemic. The tech boom wasn't just video calls and streaming TV. Popular food delivery apps more than doubled their earnings last year. Weddings and memorial services were held over video conferences. Yes, we will go back to in-person ones, but probably with cameras and live feeds now to include remote participants. In the financial sector, PayPal reported that its fastest-growing user group, was people over 50. Chase said that about half of its new online users were 50+. In telehealth, more doctors conducted routine exams via webcam than ever before. And in response, insurance coverage expanded for these remote appointments. It quickly became the only way to operate at scale in today's world, Huang says, both for us as patients and for the doctors and nurses who treat us. Telemedicine will turn out to be a better and more effective experience in many cases, even after COVID ends. Tech is for all. To financial technology expert Lau, the tech adoption rate by older people is no surprise. She never believed the myth that older people lack such knowledge, There's a difference between knowing how to use something versus preferring to use it, Lau says. Sometimes we know how but prefer face-to-face interaction, and now those preferences are shifting. Lesson number seven, work is anywhere now, a shift that bodes well for older Americans. One of the major impacts of the new work-from-home focus is that more jobs are becoming non-location specific. That from Carol Fishman Cohen, co-founder of iRelaunch, which works with employers to create mid-career return-to-work programs for older workers. Necessity is the mother of reinvention. Forced to work remotely since the onset of the pandemic, millions of workers and their managers, have learned that they could be just as productive as they were at the office, thanks to video conferencing, high-speed internet, and other technologies. 
This has opened a lot of corporate eyes, says Stephen Allen, professor of economics at North Carolina State University's Poole College of Management, Twitter, outdoor goods retailer REI, and insurer Lincoln Financial Group are a few of the companies that have announced plans to shift toward more remote work on a permanent basis. Facelift? Your FaceTime? Yes, many workers are tied to a location. We will always need nurses, police, roofers, machine operators, farmers, and countless other workers to show up. But if you are among the people who are now able to work remotely, you may be able to live in a less expensive area than where your employer is based, or work right away from the home that you were planning to retire to later on, says Cohen. Travel less, stay longer. Tired of sitting in traffic to and from work? Can't stand flying across country for a single meeting? Ridding yourself of these hassles with an internet connection and Zoom calls may be the incentive you need to work longer. People often quit jobs because of little frustrations, Alan says, but now, he adds, the things that wear you down may be going by the wayside. Yet, ageism remains a threat for older workers, who before the coronavirus enjoyed lower unemployment rates than mid-career workers, have been hit especially hard by the pandemic. In December, 45.5% of unemployed workers 55 and older had been out of work for 27 weeks or more, compared with 35% of younger job seekers. Some employers, according to reports this fall, are replacing laid-off older workers with younger, lower-cost ones, instead of recalling those older employees. Psychological studies, Allen says, indicate that older workers have better communication and interpersonal skills, both of which are critical for successful remote work. But whether those strengths can offset age discrimination in the workplace is unknown. That's all we have time for today, but I will give you a preview of next week's program that begins with lesson number eight from AARP's 15 Lessons the Coronavirus Pandemic Has Taught Us. Our trust in one another has frayed, but it can be slowly restored. Truth matters, but it requires messaging and patience. That from historian John M. Berry, author of The Great Influenza. Even before our views perforated along lines dotted by pandemic politics, race, class, and whether Bill Gates is trying to save us or track us, we were losing faith in society. In 1997, 64% of Americans put a very great or good deal of trust in the political competence of their fellow citizens. Today, only a third of us feel that way. Sadly, a 2019 Pew survey found that the majority of Americans say most people can't be trusted. It's even tougher to trust in the future. More on that in the next program. Thanks for listening, and until next week, I'm Kathy Vanskoik.